Hello, and welcome to Becoming Unstuck, where we tell the stories of internal paradigm shifts. Unsticking from old paradigms is the work of becoming, or setting ourselves free. The process of becoming unstuck is individual, but universal. Everyone has their own story to tell, and this show is the table around which we gather together to share and listen. Here we illuminate that becoming unstuck is both journey and destination, process and result, the way home and home itself. These stories can help us understand that the process of becoming unstuck isn't formulaic. It isn't neat and clean. You can't learn it from a book. You have to be willing to get dirty. This kind of education is embodied. It is dynamic and vibrant and messy. This show isn't one in which we cover up that mess because that mess is life. And what we are here to do is learn to live it. I'm Jessica Sojourn Libere, and this week I'll be answering a question submitted from a listener who's been considering doing medicine work with me. Working with entheogenic medicine can be a very big leap of faith for folks considering how different the methodology is from the way we generally treat the healing process. As is the case when we are heading into the unknown, this listener has questions about what the process is like. Like many of us, this listener is terrified of letting go. They've been concerned about what effect the work might have on their daily life if some of their armor were to be removed. This is a fear I too dealt with heavily in the beginning of my own exploration. For folks like me, hell-bent on being in control of the self at all times, drugs were never fun or exciting. They were terrifying, and I stayed far away from them for a long time. I was 25 before I knew what pot looked like. I've never seen cocaine or any of the harder drugs. Psychedelics were only accessible for me because they were wholeheartedly taken out of the recreational realm. I want to be clear that this isn't a moral stance I'm taking. This is just how it worked for me. It wasn't about tuning out. It was about tuning in. It wasn't about getting numb and dancing my face off. It was about special, sacred work, and it totally changed my life. Psychedelics are one tool for this work, but the work is the same whether or not we use medicine to approach it. Psychedelics have the potential to speed up the work, but it can take a long time for folks to become comfortable with committing even to them. This is because it is almost impossible to describe to someone else what it's like to be inside of a psychedelic experience. It's like trying to explain a dream you had. It really only makes sense to you, and it's very hard to communicate any of the emotions around it, which is really why it even matters to you in the first place. So even when we get a chance to talk about what it's like to go through psychedelic healing, chances are what is said will not actually be translated accurately by the other person's mind because for someone who has never had contact with the medicine, they have no embodied experience to connect it to. They don't have a concept box in their mind. In their mind, they would only have fantasy. So no matter the amount of questions asked, there is nothing that will provide true understanding. This, in and of itself, is partly why I love medicine work, because I get to support people across a bridge I know will be transformational, and that may have been too hard to cross alone. Facing fear is one of the most important aspects of this work in general, and medicine can highlight that aspect, making it easier to see and understand. But it can be very hard to stare fear in the face on our own. On this subject, and on a slight tangent before getting to the question, Coming up this year will be a month of podcast stories which are dedicated to psychedelic healing. So many people have so much insight to share around their own journeys of healing and liberation through the use of entheogenic medicines. Psychedelics can be really helpful in the process of becoming unstuck when we have the right understandings and expectations. Psychedelics are one way we can create space between the real us and the mirage of personalities. When this happens, we can see and identify with the order, the God space, the love we really are, 
rather than the distorted funhouse image that constantly changes, this thing that we think we are. I love catching and fostering questions around medicine because psychedelics have granted me access to such gifts inside of myself, and not only to the gifts themselves, but to truth, which was always where my compass pointed. The other thing I got from this work, which I wasn't expecting, is faith. For most of my life, I did not understand the meaning of that word, and I do now. It's still hard for me, and there are days when doubt still wins. But even if doubt wins the smaller battles, faith always wins the big ones. It just is inherently bigger. When I stop believing the doubt, faith is just there on its own. I don't have to do anything to call it or deserve it. All I have to do is let go of doubt. In practical terms, this means we will not always be able to feel the stability of the order, the peace, the God space, the steady floor of the foundation that we are. We are human, so we don't get to feel peace all the time. We feel whatever is coming up for us in that moment. But when we know that peace is the unchanging foundation, when we know that we are not the funhouse image, the thing that constantly changes, when we can have faith that even when it seems absent, we know that we are truly made of order, that we are the God space, the foundation of peace. It makes what's coming up in each moment less definite, less important, less us, and thus easier to hold and process. We can see it for what it is and learn from it because we know it as separate from us. It is not us. It's a thing we are experiencing. It comes and it goes. So we don't have to fear those things or indulge them, though we will for a long time, as that is the practice. That is how we get stronger. That is how we deepen this groove. We have to get caught to learn how to get healthily out. This is not only unavoidable, but how it actually works. And through all of that being humanness, we have to know that we are also God. We are love. We are order. Under the waves, the ocean is steady. We are both the ocean and the waves, and we have to know we are both, even when it's stormy. When it's stormy, we can get very lost and mistrustful that the stillness is actually there. We start to doubt, and we start to align with what we would call demons, or hate, or disorder. This is only a function of our mind, not a function of truth. Psychedelics can help that truth emerge. They have supported me when I'm at my wit's end, when I can't find it, when I'm deep in doubt, when I'm certain I've lost it forever. And the beauty of it is that we don't have to do anything but go toward that confusion and discomfort with open arms and open heart and an open mind. Medicine is a neutral teacher. It can't be mad at you. It can't praise you. It can't punish you. It can't favorite you. It just is. And when we walk toward the medicine as a teacher and we see ourselves as humble students, and we are willing to learn whatever lesson it presents us, that's when we really reap rewards. Though the question from this listener is regarding psychedelics, I also know that this is not the path for everyone, and so I want to say too that I have seen incredible success with folks who either choose not to use them or who can't, for instance, anyone who is breastfeeding. Though psychedelics can get us in touch with the human spirit more quickly, it is impossible to obscure it no matter what. Everyone, and I do mean everyone committed to this work, finds their way if they don't give up. Everyone figures out what works for them if they keep trying. Medicine or not, everyone finds the right tool for them if they are able to understand that it's out there. This tool unlocks our way to peace. Some of us were never taught the skill of finding peace. Some people don't believe it exists for everyone, and others are deeply confused about where to find it. 
or they feel defeated and don't believe they have the strength to keep going. But from my vantage point, what I see is that it's very hard to keep the human spirit down. Many of my clients have come to me after several dead ends, and yet, here they are, willing to try again. This is the only thing that matters. Many of us were never given an emotional education. Because of this, we have bad habits in relationship to our emotions. We are afraid of them, we are angry at them, or we indulge them and use them like a safety blanket. None of these things is practicing wayfinding peace. And when we carry deep stories about who we are and what we can have, we are blind to the fact that wayfinding is an internal skill we build rather than something that comes from circumstance. Everyone can begin building the skill of wayfinding peace from wherever they are at any moment. Obviously, it is easier when your life is easy, but that's why this skill is crucial for folks whose lives are chronically hard. The skill of wayfinding peace means you carry your touchstone with you. It is you, so the world has a harder time knocking you off your axis. This makes all the hard things easier to bear, especially when the world is not giving you the humanity you deserve. This is why we have to do the work of wayfinding peace for ourselves. Yes, it is hard work. No, it is not fair, but none of that matters. What matters is that we deserve it. We deserve better, and we are the only ones who can truly give that to us. Psychedelics, emotional education, self-soothing, and wayfinding peace can make up unknown territory for some of us. And the work I do with folks is practicing for the exploration of that space to be pure. Rather than practicing control of the outsides, we are practicing trust of the insides. We practice relying on the innate operating system, the real one, the one that senses, not the one that thinks. We practice responding to what comes as it comes. This is the very opposite of predicting and controlling. This is responsiveness and trust in the self that what needs to show up in the moment will because that is how we evolved to work. And when we get out of our own way, we are so much more intelligent than we can understand from the paradigm of the thinking mind as the be-all and end-all. When we actually get to walk into a space without any preconceived ideas or notions or expectations, we can take it all in without subjecting it to our biases or beliefs. We can see more and more clearly. When we get better and better at practicing just showing up and practicing trusting ourselves to show up, we get better and better at learning how to respond to what shows up. When we can trust ourselves to respond to what shows up, we have to do a lot less attempting to control the future and then also a lot less replaying the past. The mind begins to quiet because it's doing the job it evolved to do well, responding to the moment. The mind is terrible at control and prediction, and so when we give it those jobs, it can never rest and you can never rest. This is not to say that we don't have five and 10 and 20 year plans. We just also know that those plans may not come to pass because we don't control the world. And if something like say a worldwide pandemic happens, we trust that we are skilled enough at responding to the environment that we will take care of it as it comes. None of our plans can ever predict the future. We have to be ready for what comes as it comes. This leads into my listener's question, which was around closed-mindedness versus skepticism. This listener read something that talked about how closed-mindedness is the opposite of open-mindedness, and so that is quote-unquote bad. But skepticism, on the other hand, is healthy, and they were curious about my thoughts on that. 
And what I have to say here is that the problem is in the question, which presents us with two options that are meant to be different, but in fact are the same. I don't see much actual difference between skepticism and closed-mindedness. In fact, it feels like skepticism is dangerous because it's insidious, meaning it's not as obvious, which is actually its whole game. It masquerades as something healthy, which is confusing. Close-mindedness is the outright inability to listen, and skepticism is pretending that it's listening. In our culture, skepticism is considered to be a healthy amount of doubt or critical thinking about what is being presented to us. But as far as I can see it, skepticism's only job is to puff up our chests to confirm that we are good at protecting ourselves, or in other words, to inflate our egos. It doesn't really protect us because our egos don't actually protect us, though they want us to believe they do. We are not trying to reinforce our armor in this work. We are trying to gently remove it, layer by tender layer. The point isn't to get better at keeping things out. The point is to get better at letting things in, digesting everything, and finding the nuggets of truth. Beyond skepticism and closed-mindedness is what I would call wise discernment. Skepticism generally shows up from a place of fear and distrust. It wants to prevent anything we don't like from touching us. It's about armoring well and patting ourselves on the back for doing so. Wise discernment, on the other hand, is an ability to take in all the information, digest it, and allow it to move and change us, should that be the truth of the matter. Skepticism has its weapons up before the information even has a chance to reach us. Wise discernment doesn't have weapons. It is curious and open. It doesn't care so much about ego. It cares about understanding and truth. We can misunderstand skepticism as intuition. While intuition is a real thing, it moves us in mystical ways. Intuition really does exist, and there are people who study it. For instance, The Gift of Fear is a book all about intuition and predicting violence. Though I disagree with how the author frames and talks about some things, the backbone of the book is fundamental, radical, and important. And the thing is that intuition is a sensing organ and can only respond to your living environment. Intuition doesn't understand modern status, in other words, status separate from survival. If you're wanting to protect your status or what you believe is your static identity, what you're doing is armoring. You're feeding ego. When we can use wise discernment, we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And this is what actually makes us smarter, sharper, and more clever in the end. Being able to take in and digest new knowledge and skillfully separate what makes good sense from what doesn't is way more protective than keeping everything out that doesn't quote-unquote fit. And for the purpose of anecdotal evidence, I'll link a 12-minute story of violence and intuition in the show notes, so trigger warning. Um, This is from Navreet Chawla at The Moth. You'll hear her talking about her senses sharpening and time slowing down. This is what I mean when I talk about the mystical responsiveness of intuition. It is not a thinking process. So why does this matter? As I mentioned, skepticism helps us to feel like we have good armor, and it helps to keep that armor there. What we are doing in my work in general, and specifically with psychedelics, is removing that armor. We are training so that we no longer need the armor. We have evolved to be strong. The armor is keeping us from understanding how powerful we truly are. We have to be willing and courageous enough to peel that armor away so that we can let the wounds beneath it heal. The wounds cannot heal with the armor over top of them. While we believe we are protecting them, the armor actually purposefully keeps the wounds open. We unconsciously believe that if we allow our wounds to heal, we will be caught in the same situation and that somehow it will be our fault. 
It takes a long time to integrate that no one deserves abuse no matter what. No one ever deserves abuse, and it is never the fault of the person being hurt, ever. Is that saying that we should not do our best to make good choices? Of course not. Life is precious, and we should cherish every bit of it and be the least amount of frivolous we can. But even the best choices cannot save us from harm because we cannot control the world. Terrible things happen inside of it all the time, some at random and some not, no matter what. No one deserves terrible things. In that same vein, not allowing these wounds to heal doesn't keep us safe. It just keeps us really focused on those wounds. It makes our lives small and sick. Bad things still happen, and the belief that we can protect ourselves from bad things happening due to our armor then keeps us in a misunderstanding that when bad things happen, it is somehow our fault for not having the right armor or strong enough armor. Armor doesn't help anything, and in fact, it most often hurts. We have to learn how to let feelings come all the way up, be there, get recognized, and settle away. This is the process of growing stronger. This is the process of healing. When we know we can trust ourselves to handle what comes in and up, armor is not only useless, but ludicrous. It is a terrible tool. As we start to transfer trust back to our true selves, it creates a feedback loop. Maybe not with fervor, but we do want to get the rest of the armor off so the wounds can close. Life gets better when the wounds heal, and they cannot heal without removing the armor. Sometimes we will look foolish. Sometimes we will believe things that aren't true. In fact, when we look back at ourselves and feel this cringy, crushing sensation, it's only because we have grown. Growing is a beautiful thing. In fact, I'd say it is one of the things for which many of us live. I hate that cringy feeling with a passion, but it's one of those things I would lump into the being the role models we wish we had category. I hate it because of the stories I have around it, that somehow I should have known better, that it makes me look like a fool, that in this society we don't have license to integrate new information and change our minds, so that if I do, people won't trust me or they'll call me a fraud. Even though I dislike that feeling so much, I would still rather face that cringy feeling than prevent myself from growing into the truth. If the ultimate goal is truth, then that cringy feeling is just par for the course. We can't know everything, we just can't. But we can keep learning. If the ultimate goal is to predict everything and never be wrong, then you will never be able to access capital T truth. One of my favorite quotes reads, For a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks, its insides come out, and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. Some way, shape, or form, we have to be willing to fall completely apart to understand how we want to consciously put ourselves back together. Without that, we are made of unconscious armor. We are made of reactivity rather than conscious choices. Truly clear, conscious choices will protect us far better than armor or reactivity ever could. Whether it's around psychedelics or any other unknowns, what we want to practice is ingesting information, digesting information, releasing what doesn't make sense, and integrating the nuggets of truth. Skepticism wants to control a static version of self and aims to repudiate any information that doesn't fit within that structure. This isn't helpful for us. Psychedelics are all about taking ourselves apart, re-examining what pieces we actually want to keep and which are no longer serving us. This work requires us to humble ourselves to the fact that we know a lot less about a lot more than we thought. The work requires us to lay down our weapons and to become strong in the real way. 
It requires us to feel emotions, to stretch and grow, to hold them, to become steady, even when our bodies are being rocked with discomfort. Armor is and always will be posturing. It isn't strength. It's the illusion of strength. Our work is to remove the armor and let the wounds heal, to come into true strength and true power. I know it's the hardest thing to do just to believe that, let alone act on it sometimes. I know because I go through it every day, and I teach people how to love themselves enough to go through it every day. And if they're willing to trust me and willing to listen, I can teach them the phases and stages of growth. I can't teach them or anyone the specifics of how they will liberate. That we must learn on our own. But I can help us understand the difference between fortifying our armor and peeling it away. I can help us stay in the uncomfortable, vulnerable, questioning space for long enough for trust to build, for long enough to get an understanding of true strength, for long enough to see that this work really does work. One of my greatest gifts is that I have faith in you, no matter who you are. What makes something capital T true is that it is true for everyone across the board. If you find yourself skeptical, thinking about all the ways in which this is not true for you or true in general, I'd love to catch any of your doubts or questions and do a show on them like this one. It's so hard to change paradigms because even when something makes sense in real time, we can lose sight of it when we get triggered, when fear or doubt or some other strong emotion takes over. We get so confused. We need help wayfinding and remembering until the grooves are deep enough that we can find the way ourselves. That is really at the heart of everything I do. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a wonderful episode featuring Dr. Blake Brandis, who offers his own gifts of wisdom and expansion and brings with him a heart full of play. He truly makes the work fun, and he also treats us to some musical freestyling inside the episode. You won't want to miss it. Please join us next week.